0: Thank you, worship team. We just sang that song Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. How many of you believe that? Before you raise your hand, think carefully. Is that a true statement or isn't it? Christ is enough for me going to challenge your thinking right off the bat this morning. You ready? Christ is enough for me, really? Really. Is God enough? Is every need I have found in him. Why would I say that? Why would I question that? Genesis 2:18, Genesis, the book of beginnings. Verse 18 says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Think of that in context of God being enough. It is not good for the man to be alone. The passage is so fascinating to me because Adam wasn't alone in the garden. Who was with him? God was with him. He walked with him. Adam had a relationship with God and yet God said it wasn't good for Adam to be what? Alone. Was he alone? God was with him and yet he said it's not good for man to be alone. How does that work? Huh? Huh? Twisting your brain just a little bit. It's not good for the man to be Alone. Yet, he wasn't alone because God was with him. So my question to you, is God enough? According to that passage of Scripture. I love playing with you guys. <laughs> you see, we were created for relationship with God. We were created for relationship with God, but we were also created for relationship with one another. Because God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So therefore, created for relationship with God and relationship with one another. Could it be that without relationship with one another, we are not complete in the sense God intends for us to be complete? Hmm. Hmm. You see, God's heart has always been about loving relationships. And this idea is expressed throughout Scripture. Let's look at the New Testament. You have your sermon notes. Uh, You're probably going to need those today. Uh, If you need them, ushers, do we have some sermon notes? Anybody need sermon notes? Everybody got them? Okay, good. If you need them, just raise your hand. Uh, We'll be glad to get you one. In the Old Testament, we we read this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your strength. Deuteronomy 6. We've been spending some time in that passage of Scripture the last couple of weeks and talking about our children, our responsibility to the next generation. But Moses lays down that command. Love God with all your heart, soul, and your strength. And then in the book of Leviticus, of all places, perhaps one of the most boring books of the Bible, in Leviticus chapter 19, if the Bible could ever be boring, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, often we think, isn't that a Jesus kind of phrase? Love your neighbor as yourself? Actually, that comes from the book of Leviticus. Jesus was quoting this passage of Scripture. It's not a Jesus idea. It has been around from eternity past. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. And let's back it up even one step further. Let's reconsider the Ten Commandments in light of this God of loving relationship. A God who wants us to love Him and to love others. Let's consider the Ten Commandments just for a moment. The first one, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because that breaks relationships. It is inconsistent with loving God. God wants a love relationship with us. If we have other gods, that breaks the relationship. Don't make idols or worship them. Why? Because it breaks relationship. It doesn't love God the way he deserves to be loved. How about don't misuse God's name? That harms the relationship that we have with God. It is inconsistent with loving God if we misuse His name. Kind of interesting, isn't it? How about remember the Sabbath? That, in fact, honors relationships. That is consistent with loving God and loving others. Hmm. Honor your father and mother. That sustains relationships. That, again, is consistent with God's plan that we love Him and that we love others. Don't murder. Don't murder. That's really bad for relationships, right? Yeah, that'll kind of kill a relationship, uh, literally, right? And that's inconsistent with loving others, right? Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. That breaks relationships. That is inconsistent with loving each other. Don't steal. That also breaks relationships. Don't give false testimony against your neighbor. Don't cover the stuff that belongs to your neighbor. All of these things break or harm relationships, so they are inconsistent with this God of loving relationships who says, love me and love others. And in fact, it's not good for you to be alone because if you just love me, you're not getting the complete picture of what it's all about. He is a God of loving relationships, love him, love others. And so let's jump into the New Testament. Teacher, which is the most important commandment? We are in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbors yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So if we take the first two-thirds of your Bible called the Old Testament, and we were to summarize them, here's what it says. Love God, love others. Not extremely complicated, but terribly hard to do, isn't it? Consistently. And so we begin to think through this whole thing. What does it mean to love God? What does it mean for God to love me? So we're going to frame that within the context of a single word these next two weeks. For those who desire to be a God follower, a God lover, there's one key word used in the New Testament to describe our love relationship with him, and that word is disciple. Disciple. A follower of Jesus. One who loves him and desires to be like him Disciple was Jesus' go to word. In fact, the word disciple or disciples appears 296 times in the New Testament. The word Christian or Christians appears three times in the Bible. I, I think this is important because we often say, Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And that's really not a New Testament kind of word in the sense of what we're driving at. Are, are we a Jesus follower? Are we a Jesus follower? Are we a disciple of Jesus? That was Jesus' go-to word. I think maybe it ought to be ours, too. In order to better understand the definition, we first must understand the historical context in which this word disciple was used and the world in which Jesus of Nazareth from Galilee grew up. So what I'm going to do today is just lay a foundation. For some of you, this will be boring because a little bit of history in here, but I think it's important if we're going to grasp this whole concept of loving God and loving others, we have to understand the context and the culture in which we find it. So bear with me. All right, According to Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan, founder of That the World May Know Ministries, He's also an author for Focus on the Family. In the first century, the people of Galilee were the most religious Jews in the world. Now, this is contrary to the notion that some of us have been taught that uh, Galileans were kind of ignorant, kind of peasant labor kind of folk, uh, and that's who Jesus was among. Not really historically accurate, I'm afraid. The Galilean people were actually the most educated in the Old Testament than most any other Jews in the world. More famous Jewish teachers came from Galilee than anywhere else in the world. So what does that mean in context? It means that Jesus was born, he grew up, and he spent much of his ministry among people who knew Scripture, who valued Scripture as the Word of God. He grew up among people who enjoyed passionate religious debate, something that we don't do in America today, that was in the essence of their culture. He grew up among people who enjoyed passionate religious debate, and people who love God with all their hearts. That's where Jesus was raised. So if we're going to understand the way that he worded, uh, his, the word that he had for his followers, and the system that he used for his followers, we have to understand the context. Now understanding this helps us to appreciate the great faith, the great courage of those disciples that he chose to make the good news global. Their outrageous courage, in fact, laying their life down for the cause and complete devotion to God and his word, were forged in the religious communities in Galilee where Jesus grew up. So let's dig just a little bit deeper. In first century Galilee, education was very important. It was always linked to the local synagogue. That was the center of education. Evidently, each community would hire a teacher and he would be called the rabbi. Now, the term rabbi means great one or master who functioned as a teacher and a leader, not just a teacher of religious principle, but also a leader in the community. It was a title of great respect. Now, using this term showed what incredible respect the folk had for the rabbi, not only as a person, but as a teacher and as a leader. And I believe we've, we're losing that in our culture rapidly. We moved here from Thailand. In Thailand, I was Ajahn. That was my title. It was a title of respect. Very, very few people called me John. Very few people called me John. I was Ajahn. That was what the people of Thailand would say as a sign of respect for my position that you are a teacher of God's word. You are Ajan. And so I counter that with, okay, in our public schools in Sheboygan tomorrow, junior and senior high students will address their teacher by their first name. Now, right or wrong, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just saying this. There was incredible respect for the teacher of God's word. He was recognized as one who sought after God, but also was a leader in showing the people the direction that they should go. It's a tremendous responsibility. Now, many youngsters wanted to grow up to be a rabbi, but it was a long and tough process. Boys started studying at the synagogue at the age of five. You'd send your kids off to synagogue, and they hoped that one day they would be the teacher. The rabbi, that was what kids wanted to do. That's what boys wanted to be. I want to be like the rabbi. At age 14, after nine years of studying, the best of the students would have the the entire Old Testament memorized. Chew on that one. By the age of 14, it was mandated in school that you memorize the entire Old Testament. Now, I understand times have changed. I get all that. 14 was also the age that the best of the best could approach a rabbi and ask humbly, might I be your disciple? Might I be your disciple? It's an important time. If the rabbi thought they had the right stuff, he would agree to an interview and the rabbi would grill that teen on theology, often using trick questions. We'll talk more about that next week. If you survived that process, the rabbi would invite him to be a disciple. The teen would leave everything. The teen... The 14-year-old would leave family, friends, home, all things familiar and follow the rabbi. Rabbis were selective and normally a rabbi would only choose one or two disciples at a time. The rest of the teenage boys, the majority of the teenage boys would be sent home and they would most likely pick up the family trade there in Galilee. And so we understand a bit more of the context. The cream of the cropper called Talmudim, plural in Hebrew, which is translated disciple. A Talmud, singular, was someone who wanted to be like the teacher. The disciple was passionately devoted to the rabbi, studied everything the rabbi said, everything the rabbi did with great, great intensity and passion. The rabbi-Talmud relationship was a very intense and personal system of education. This is so foreign to us as Americans, this way of educating the next generation. Uh, We do it much, much differently. A Talmud followed the rabbi everywhere, every hour, every day, often without knowing or even being allowed to ask, where are we going? Just follow. The Talmud rarely left the rabbi's moment. The Talmud was always afraid that he would miss a teaching moment, so he stayed with him through everything. He watched the rabbi's every move, how he handled every situation, how he taught the scripture, wanting to be just like that. The Talmud trusted his rabbi completely. His deepest desire was to follow so closely that he would start to think and act and speak Just like the rabbi. Wow. And so this is the environment in which Jesus was raised, in which the first disciples found themselves. The disciple had a special relationship with a teacher, a rabbi. This connection became the defining relationship in the disciple's life. This was the defining relationship. Even more significant than the relationships with his own family. Once 14 passed and he was now a follower of the rabbi, that was the primary relationship. Love God, love others, I'm going to do it just like the rabbi does it. The disciples shared life with the teacher for years and decades. The disciple goes where the teacher goes, lives as the teacher lives, interprets scripture just like the teacher does, and he seeks to become just like the rabbi. The teacher is the supervisor. He is the model, the example, and the most important person in the disciple's life. Now, let's move this down the field just a little bit. Jesus' disciples probably went through the exact same educational system since they came from Galilee. This is the environment in which we find them. At the age of 14, some would have sought out their rabbi. You know what? The rabbis rejected all of them. None of them made the grade. That's why Jesus finds them fishing or banking or doctoring, or working in the law, when he selects his 12. Some of these 12 had likely been told they weren't good enough. They were sent back to their family, go get a real job, go get a real job. Give up on this dream of following the rabbi. They certainly weren't the best of the best. When Jesus approached Andrew and Peter there on the beach, and he says to them, come, follow me, what do they do? Immediately, they dropped their nets, and they followed. These young men, most likely in their early 20s, thought their opportunity to follow the rabbi had passed a long time ago, but they were so anxious. Here's the rabbi, Jesus. He's giving me a shot. I was told I didn't make it, but now I do have the opportunity to follow a rabbi. This is one of the most significant concepts of the New Testament. Hear this carefully. Jesus chose the Rabbi Talmud system. Jesus chose to use the Rabbi Talmud system in order to put his teachings into these men who would take it to the ends of the earth. This is very, very significant. Just like he was raised, he followed that same system. And I wonder if we need to get back to the system of making disciples he taught like a rabbi he used real life situations jesus used the most brilliant methods ever done he chose disciples to become like him and he led them around until they began to imitate him here's what luke 6:40 says students are not greater than their teacher jesus said but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher that is, the rabbi tell me system uh, just expressed through Jesus. You're going to follow me, and guess what? The student is going to become just like the teacher. Wow. Wow. The student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Jesus describes his relationships to his twelve In exactly these terms. He spent the night praying, God, who is it? Who is it that I should pour my life into these next three, three and a half years? He spent the night in prayer and then he selected his disciples. Now, Jesus describes his relationship to his disciples like that. He chose them to be with him. Here's what Mark 3 says. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. They might be with him. Extremely important. Let's do life together. I'm going to use the rabbi tell me system. You're going to follow me around. You're going to watch me do it. Then you're going to do it. Here we go. Here we go. He appointed 12 that they might be with him so that they might be like him. Fast forward to the end of his life. Here's what he says in John 13. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Do as I have done to you. You've been watching me now for three plus years. You are fully trained. I've done everything I could to invest my life into you. Now I want you to go and do as I have done. Profound, profound Jesus training program. Be with me so you can live like me. Understand this. Knowledge came through association and demonstration before it was understood by explanation. Ooh, that's some good preaching there. Knowledge of who God is, how God operates, how to follow God came through association and demonstration in the Rabbi Telmed system before it was understood by explanation. And here's where we get things backwards as a church. We try to take you through a class Have you fill in all the blanks to be a good disciple, a good Jesus follower? We start with explanation in our culture today. But knowledge of who God is and the way that he works does not come through explanation. It must come through the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. It must be through association, life on life, ours with God, knowing him, loving him, being loved by him, loving others, being loved by others. That's where we understand how God works. We can't read in a book. I can't stand up here and explain it to you. It doesn't work that way. This is profound. This is profound, and I want us as a church to begin turning the tide back to the way Jesus intended, to make disciples who make disciples. We're missing the mark just a little bit here, folks. Now, you with me so far? You know, I have spent more time on this message, like three months, and I thought, man, this message stinks. I can't get it right. I just can't get this thing right right i don't know how many hours i put in this thing i don't like it but god says do it so i do it all's i know is i want to know jesus and he can't be explained and i can't read about it in the book except the bible i can't read about it i have to know him intimately through association And the demonstration of his power. When is the last time you saw something supernatural happen? Something unexplainable, something unbelievable? When do we we let God out of the box? Okay, I'm having fun. As present-day Talmudim, or disciples, we must be no less focused on Jesus, the rabbi. I will follow you. I have decided to follow the rabbi. The decision to follow rabbi meant total commitment. In the first century, in Jesus' culture, we got to get back to the point where it means total commitment in the 21st century as well. We must be with him. We must be with him in his word, in prayer, in worship, in intimacy. Moment by moment, we must be with him so that we can be like him and do what he has given us to do which means we got to follow him even if we're not sure of the destination. The rabbi says, go, we go. We must live by his teaching, which means we must know his teaching well if we're going to live by it, and we must imitate him whenever we can. What would Jesus do in this situation? What would the master do here? I want to think like Jesus thought. I want to act like Jesus acted. And he is more than willing to do that through each of us. He is. He is. We must be about his business of making disciples. And you know what? We've got to do this together. This is meant to be done in community. Together. It's not about how mature you are. It's about how mature is the body of Christ. Us together. That's where the impact happens. We must do it together. Where can we find growth and intimacy and accountability and deeper relationships? That's why you saw that banner hanging out there. That's home groups. I believe that is the primary discipleship vehicle of our generation, of our time. This is the place where we gather around God's word and we take life's experiences and they intersect together and we see that it's not a matter of being discipled by going through this material and filling in this blank. No, it, it, it comes through association and demonstration of the power of God and how he is working in our lives. That's where it's at, not knowledge. Ooh, ooh, ooh. There's power in these groups, great power, as we interact together, home groups are a wonderful way to connect, to continue our growth as disciples. It's our desire to see every person connected to a home group or to a small group of some, some size or, or some dimension. We have the meeting at various times and places. If you've never been a part of a home group or you're new to our church, please check it out, sign up, get connected here. Now, Cindy and I have had the privilege of leading home groups for more than 20 years now. It's been quite a run. Some groups have been better than others, but they're always a great opportunity for growth. Great opportunity for growth. And every year we start the same way it's me rambling and everybody sitting there like this. They're afraid, they're intimidated. And then nine months later, when a group concludes, I'll throw an idea. I can't get a word in edgewise. They're just like Hadadadada. Why? Because here's a safe environment where God's word and life experiences intersect and sometimes they collide and sometimes it's messy, and most of the time there's tears. And a lot of times God shows up in powerful, powerful ways. And if you've been around me at all, you know, in our home group, if someone, at least one person doesn't cry, we haven't met. We haven't met. I want that level of intimacy with Jesus, and with others. Wow. Here's the place where genuine, authentic love relationships are built and sustained. But back to where we started. Let me close the loop this morning. It's not good for the man to be alone. Not good for the man to be alone. So we've got a home group that's just right for you. Check it out. Sign up. Where's Blake? Blake Shannon, where are you? Hey, Blake. How you doing? Good. You guys like Blake? I think the consensus is you're all right. You're all right. You're among friends here. Blake has assumed more responsibility with our home groups. Uh, Blake works full time. He goes to school. He's got a wonderful family. He's got a lot going on in his life. Blake and Rebecca together have this desire that people grow as disciples of Jesus in a home group environment. Is that correct? Good, good. So you're going to be right out there on the way out and answer folks' questions? Are you going to twist arms? Good. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. Thanks, Blake. Rebecca, thank you. Uh, Last year, folks, we had about 60% of those adults that call this church home in a home group we'd like to see that number much higher but you know what I'm not comparing but I'll put that number against any other church in town why because we're making an emphasis here it's not about coming at 10 o'clock on Sunday that's an important piece don't misunderstand me what we do here corporately is fantastic and necessary for our edification and our worship together But I'm telling you, where the rubber meets the road is in that person's living room. When the Word of God collides with everyday life. Watch what happens. It's amazing. In addition to this, you're going to hear more about our fall faith in action coming October 2nd, three weeks. Three weeks? 18, 20, yeah, three weeks. Wow. We're not just going to come to church. We're going to be the church. And that means we're going to be the church outside these walls. Many of you are familiar with it. If you're new to Southside, what we do is we don't have a Sunday morning service. we rather move the service out into the community. And our church is an army going out to serve and be salt and light in the community. It's a great time. You know what really, really uh, gets me going is that thought. On October 2nd, this church out there and a team of 12 sent from here to Bangkok. All of us together serving on Sunday, October 2nd. Twelve Southsiders on the other side of the world in Bangkok, hitting the streets, challenging human trafficking, and the rest of the congregation here serving Sheboygan County. Sound like we're supposed to be doing? Sounds like what disciples of Jesus should be doing? Being out there making it happen? I'm so excited about this October 2nd. Uh, Projects are coming together. Man. You're going to hear more about that in the next couple weeks. Uh, there's inserts that were given to you, both Home Group and Faith in Action. Check those out. Where's Mark McClellan? Mark, what do you guys think of Mark? No, wait, 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 wait. How come Mark gets the applause and, and Blake just kind of gets a... Blake, why don't you stand again? What do you think of Blake? That's what we want. That's what we want. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. Mark, man, thanks for leading our church. I know your team yesterday was helping a woman not associated with this church who had a need. This guy's just quietly behind the scenes all over Sheboygan County just helping people, doing what disciples do. No fanfare. No hoorah, just loving others. Thanks for your example, man. You're a hero to me. I appreciate that. And uh, you excited about October second? I am very excited about October second. Um, I was sorry to hear that you said that you were struggling with today's message because, of course, because you're right now. Thank you, Mark. Amen. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Thank you thank you. So Mark's going to be available with his team. He's got a fantastic team of people. We're going to introduce them in the coming weeks. Uh, they're here to help guide you to the right project and find that place for you. Thanks, Mark. Pastor Mark, you've been uh, kind of in the middle of all this mix, is that correct? A little bit. Are, are you, you're one on of the Thai team headed to Thailand, is that right? Yes. You excited? I am. You excited about a, like a 24-hour plane ride? No. Okay. <laughs> No, yeah that, that, that's a true statement uh, but your eyes are about to be open yeah. and I'm so excited for you man and the rest who are going but I thank you for your service in our church in our community uh, I know that you have a heart for the church here uh, and we've got a, an experience coming on a Friday night that just shows I think the kind of guy that you are in the sense of we want to get churches together We have to be together to impact our community. So tell us about what's going on there.